This is Business Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Wei Chun Wang. I'm an entrepreneur who's passionate about all things business. As a trained economist with consulting background, currently working to educate business professionals in a college setting, I constantly gather information, advise my clients, teach students, and train people with the best practices. In this podcast, I will provide intelligence in business management, economic and data analysis, digital marketing, and international business strategy. Let me help you navigate the complexity in this challenging and dynamic business world. This is Business Intelligence Podcast. And I am Dr. Wei Chun Wang. Hi, everybody! Welcome back to another episode of Business Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Wei Chun Wang. I'm here with Joey Degangji. You know, we're pretty excited here today. We're going to be talking about how you should structure the right business model for your business. Yeah, so business model is definitely going to be one of the most important things you look at. I mean, everything else is, is dependent on how successful a business model you can build. And the way we're going to define that today is, you know, very basic terms: revenue in, cost out. That's your business model, and then trying to figure out the best way to maximize the revenue coming in, minimize the cost going out, and make sure that you can maintain that system as you scale. I think this is one of the most overused term business model, especially in the business world. Um, and uh, people generally are overwhelmed uh, by the mentioning of business model because, like Joey said, it's very simple. You know, you gotta have a model that allows the revenue to come in, and you also gotta have a system to really monitor and make sure that uh, the the cost is moderate and it doesn't go out that quickly. And success of any business uh, hinges upon the right business model, um, and and really, it's the pathway that leads to dominance. Yeah, and you, you know, like, like what Chang said, you don't want to overthink it at, at least at first. Mm-hmm. You know, you, we're going to talk today about a couple of different examples of business models. Some of them are much bigger and have you know intricate parts, but they all started out with kind of that basic structure that we define: revenue in, cost out, and just being efficient. And when you add new facets to that business model, maintaining or improving that efficiency. That's really all we're trying to do to be successful. So we'll start by focusing on the recent market reality, right? So Target and Walmart just released their quarterly financials, and as as expected in the pandemic,、uh, they were performing very very well because people needed their services, people needed their products.、Uh, according to the data, they were、uh, their sales、uh, revenue were up significantly. Um, you know, you look at the digital giants like Apple App Store, Google Play, and Amazon,、uh, which all have been criticized for monopolizing、um, the the digital and e-commerce markets. They've been doing fantastically well, and and you look at all these companies and you realize that all these companies have something in common, right? They have the right business strategy.、Uh, they want to dominate the market and they craft their business strategy. Um, to respond to the market need. As a matter of fact, rather than criticizing their intent to、uh, trying to dominate the market, you should understand that every business is built with the purpose of trying to monopolize the market because that's how you maximize the the revenue and profit. You want to become a monopoly or oligopoly,、um, and that is the goal.、Um, and and you want to、uh, pursue market influence and market power. 
Um, and because that's, again, how you maximize the profit and revenue. Yeah, you can think of it as becoming so efficient and so, you know, ha having the bandwidth to take on the entire market demand that the barrier to entry is, is so high as, as a result of your efficiency. I want to take a look at several quick examples just to show you how people are doing things in, in different industries with respect to the setup of their business model. Uh, and you take a look at the retailer industry, uh, for example, Target and Walmart, they have dominated the supply chain and logistics, and that's how they were able to create this business model that's pretty impeccable because manufacturers are being forced to, to work with Target and Walmart just to get the products on their shelves. Um, so essentially, these retailers have become a real estate uh, uh, company. Uh, they monopolize the shelf space. They, mon they monopolize um, the locations where, um, you know, products of uh, all these different vendors could be shown. Um, and, and these retailers, they, mo they monopolize the supply chain to try to create the most effective approach to shift products from the manufacturers to the end users. And their, their gross margin is very high simply because of this particular value. You take a look at another um, retailer and wholesaler model, uh, Costco. I call it a hybrid retailer and wholesaler because it is a retailer because it serves end users. And some people would call it a wholesaler because it does ask people to buy uh, products at volume. Right. So Costco is, has a somewhat different model. Now, if you were to focus on how they bring in the money, you realize that the gross margin of Costco's sales of goods um, is usually around hovering around 10, 11 percent. Yeah, uh, they, they did slightly well overseas. Their gross margin in the overseas market is hovering around 12 to 13 percent. But that's their model. So for a gross margin of 11 to 13 percent, that's really not much, you know, compared to, for example, Target or Walmart, because Target and Walmart, they would. You know, every day they would try to, to jack up that gross margin um, to as high as possible. Co but Costco took a very, very different strategy. And Costco is very comfortable of maintaining that 11 to 13 percent gross margin simply because they built their business model onto uh, a very different thing that is on their uh, annual memberships. Right. right. So if you, um, you know, switch the focus to take a look at their annual report. Uh, in 2019, for example, their annual membership dues just just shy of about 3.5 billion, which represents about a third of their their net uh, of their net profit. Right. So majority of their um, margin is coming from the annual memberships. So they have a very very different model. Yeah. Right. Um, and and it's really hard for the manufacturers to get their products onto the shelves at Costco. Yeah. Because Costco gatekeeps the quality of the products that they sell and they wanted to make sure that all the members come, that come into Costco would have a very enjoyable shopping experiences, uh, not having to complain about the quality of the products that they sell. That's the value that they provide. They gatekeep the quality of the products and they have one of the most generous return policies in the industry. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the value that Costco really provides is the number of members that are looking for good quality products. And they so that to a point that they don't have to make money out of sales of goods. The gross margin is um, mainly for them to just uh, break even. And Costco can then turn around and offer they have if you're paying for the you know, put yourself in the mindset of the, the customer. You have the membership, you're paying for it. You're going to be going and frequenting Costco stores more often because you're already paying for that part for that membership. 
So the value that you create for the manufacturers is high, and that's why they're willing to to work with, with, with the lower cost. So you look at the pure retailers like Target and Walmart, they bank their business model on the uh, sales of goods, right? Costco is slightly different. Memberships um, is the very integral part of their business model. And if you turn around and take a look at the software industry, and software industry is one of the industries that had seen um, probably the most influential change in the last two decades. Um, Software industry is in particular uh, very interesting because the marginal cost of creating additional license of software is nearly zero, right? It used to be the market with just giant players. I mean, remember, Jerry, remember the days that where you have to buy, you know, a a license for a Microsoft Office, uh, you know, even a home uh, version of Microsoft Office will cost you several hundred dollars, um, but the, eco- the ecological system of software industry changed, uh, changed overnight in 2007 when Apple uh, pushed out their app store, right? So the business model switched from having very expensive licenses provided in the marketplace to cheap licenses through the pay-per-download uh, business model created by Apple App Store. However, that is not uh, super sustainable because you see when the market was being dominated by, you know, several big giants, and that means that the money is there, right? And when the ecological system changed, it undoubtedly attracted more players to come into the market. Everybody is trying to leverage the new, newly developed ecological system because everybody wants to, to, to get a share of the market. So the cheap licenses result in really the prosper of the market, um, and and you have a lot of small players that share the, the larger pie, um, resulting in every small player only gets a little bit of the market. So very soon, this cheap license model uh, from the pay-per-download uh, business model uh, kind of died down a little bit. Um, in 2011, 2012, all these software developers started switching uh, the business model from providing more in-app purchases. Right. Yeah, you want to have that longer-term relationship with the customer than you know the one-time transaction. And because this, the software developers realize that after uh, people pay a uh, dollar ninety-nine or two ninety-nine right. for uh, for a download, um, they they couldn't. The software developers couldn't find another way to get more money from these users. Yet they are being asked or requested to provide more updates to better their products. And they very, very soon they realized that it's not a good model. So they ended up having to create another business model, which is the in-app purchases, creating more items for you to purchase uh, while you're using the software that you have downloaded before. Like, for example, uh, with the games, uh, you have to purchase accessories. Pokemon Go, for example, you have to purchase a lot of accessories, and my kids do that all the time. In 2015, 2016, you saw a lot of uh, another switch uh, of a business model from the um, banking on the in-app purchases. Software developers started providing subscription services. Right. And which is another way to really try to get more money from the consumers. You have the monthly subscriptions. You have the annual subscription. All of these changes wouldn't be made possible without the change in the delivery method in the, in the very beginning. So thanks to Apple, um, the App Store really renovated the entire ecological system that resulted in really the boom in the software industry that we're seeing right now. But all of it comes with a cost. 
Right. You're looking at uh, 30% charge uh, from, from the App Store. Right. So Apple App Store you know, and Google Play, they charge 30% of the cost. And recently, you saw a lot of debates in the marketplace, um, some some uh, uh, developers arguing that uh, you know Apple and Google they are they're sucking too much blood out of right, right. out of their out of, out of their business and they're they're criticizing that Apple and Google have been overcharging. Um, but really, I mean, if you c- come to look at the uh, tangible product um, uh, market like yeah. retail, thirty percent is really not that much. Yeah, if you think of the entire you know cost of goods sold to lose only thirty percent from start to fin from you know the product delivery to end user getting that product, thirty mm-hmm. percent is nothing. Right. So the main debate actually was uh, brought up by Epic Games, the developer of Fortnite, a very popular yeah. game, and Fortnite wanted to bail out on Apple and Google, uh, but uh, little. T- they probably forgot that it is, it is because of Apple and Google that made them popular and famous in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. So, which, again, I mean, Joey, I think you, you can agree to it, uh, reminds us that, uh, you know, if you, if you want to uh, bring your business up to the level of Epic Games, that's when you can start complaining. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, business model is key, right? So when you develop your business, uh, when you have a product and you have a service that you want to sell, you want to really craft that business model and making sure that it makes sense to the marketplace considering all these external factors. I want to switch gear and talk a little bit about Amazon. Amazon is uh, an example that... People generally overlook because mm. people know Amazon because of the marketplace, right? You go to Amazon and buy stuff. Yes, when it when it was created in uh, back in 1997, it was known for the seller of books. Yeah, you're used to interacting with it on that that front facing storefront, right? But not a lot of people know that Amazon has actually three pillars in their business model. Marketplace is one. Mm. The other one is Prime Membership. Right. Um, you pay $119 per year, and they guarantee you two-day shipping, as well as providing you with all these intangible services like Prime Music as well as Prime Video. And the third pillar, which is now proven to be the most profitable pillar, is Amazon Web Services. Right. And ordinary users wouldn't know what Amazon Web Services provide because Amazon Web Services um, is geared to is gearing towards business users enterprises right specifically in, in software is the is the infrastructure behind pretty much every other software staple out there right and and undoubtedly when um, Amazon started out it relied heavily on the marketplace and prime membership didn't come until much later and AWS didn't come until 2006 right. But currently, if you look at the operating income, Amazon Web Services generated, I think in 2019, $7.2 billion uh, for Amazon's operations. So that has now, um, Amazon Web Services has now been proven to be the largest pillar of Amazon's business. It's very high margin, very high entry barrier. Yeah. And just to give you an idea of who their customer base is for that product, uh, you're looking at Netflix, $19 million per month. Twitch, fifteen million per month. LinkedIn, thirteen million. Facebook. I mean, these these are other giants in their own respective industries, and Facebook is paying for Amazon Web Services eleven million dollars per month. Yeah, that's incredible, right? So Amazon obviously has switched its own business model over time. So in take a look at what Amazon had done. They did it so purposefully. 
Right? Yeah, they started out as um, a company that relies upon market uh, marketplace uh, with the sales of goods, but in between they switched their business models models multiple times um, so that they are catering to the needs of the customers. Uh, and they look into the future. Yeah, they were constantly, they, they had that next evolution of the business model in mind. And that's something, you know, we, you know, ties into what we were talking about with software. The business model constantly evolves based on some different external factors that we'll talk about a little bit, but always, you know, kind of keeping an eye ahead. And, and oftentimes, you know, you are looking at the marketplace and you see a lot of uh, uh, different interesting business models where, Sometimes you clearly see that the manufacturers or the vendors are losing money in one type of transaction. And uh, oftentimes people are scratching their heads trying to figure out why they would try right. to lose money on the products that they sell. McDonald's being a very good example. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure whether you remember. Every summer you go to the McDonald's, they always have this summer drinks promotion, right? Where you could pay just $1 to get any size of drink. It's actually a combo transaction. Yeah, try, I, to, try to walk into a McDonald's and not leave with fries <laughs> and nuggets when you walk in there and you t- get that whole smell. Yeah. I, like, you can't do it. it they're, they're betting on that fact. Right. They're I, using the $1 uh, summer drink any size as a way of, of creating that initial transaction because they're going to make their money back on that other part. And that's how they get you. Yep. That's how yep. they get you. Every time. Right. So, so when you look at the business model and how people operate, you really need to look beyond what you see and try to understand the whole uh, uh, background of why they're doing what they're doing. People have been criticizing, for example, the gym memberships, right? Um, all these yeah. gyms, you know, pre-pandemic time, you go to the gym and you realize that, especially in January and February times, those are the months that where you would see the most uh, sign-ups that take, that take place. But very rarely you would see, see a gym operate at a full capacity. Like I said, except after the holiday season. But you don't see much refund. <laughs> no. Why is that? No, it's not uh, It's not cost per, per for performance. It's, it's cost by just transaction. So yeah. if you're not losing the weight, you aren't, you aren't going to blame the gym for not <laughs> losing the weight. What a fantastic business <laughs> model. Because literally, you're not selling the use of equipment. You're selling the hype. You're yeah. pushing the idea to people, trying to convince people that, oh, by signing up the gym... You could potentially have a very healthy and good-looking body, but if eventually you cannot get to that point, you're not going to blame the gym. You would be blaming yourself for not putting in the effort. Um, and, and, and that by itself is a very good business model to, uh, to, to discuss more. Uh, you, you look at the uh, higher education marketplace t- in today's environment. Um, uh, do you really go to the universities? Um, because of the quality of education, or do you go to the universities for the diplomas that you will be getting? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Right. So uh, a lot of people argue that higher education institutions are not doing their level best to deliver quality education, and they're just they they exist because the professors just want to teach whatever they want to teach, and they need they need um, you know students to support their endeavors. And, um, you know, it's, it's a rather uh, different model, but still, a lot of people argue that the higher education institutions are just like gyms. They are selling the hype. They are selling the dreams and hopes so that the customers believe that after they pay for the services, they will be better. You know, the question then, the ultimate question is how do we structure the business model, the right business model for any service or product that you want to provide? 
uh, I would argue that first of all, you need to understand the market dynamics, right? So understanding the market dynamics includes really know who your customers might be, what your competition is, but that it goes beyond that. Yeah, of course. You got to look at external factors. I mean, you might have the customer base, you might have a comparable or better product in your competition, but you always have to be on, on the lookout for something that renders the, the service you're providing uh, invalid. You know, it, it could be as much as overnight. You know, you think about um, one of the examples. They had, there's a case, the Harvard Business case study with the railroads, right? You know, all, they, they might have been the best provider, had the customer base, but as soon as something new comes along, like the, like the automobile, then all of a sudden that business model ceases to be, you know, the, the, best, uh, the best option. There's all of these existential pressures and they can be positive or negative. There could be something, you know, discovery of a new technology uh, that overnight creates all these new opportunities for businesses to get started or it can, you know, it can stop what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, you also have to look at the mar- what we call the marginal cost structure of yeah. your products and services. So marginal cost means the cost of creating additional unit of, uh, of product or, you know, additional uh, a set of service. Right. And, and software industry is an extreme um, um Right in that in that uh, example, because the the marginal cost of creating an additional license is close to zero. Because once the software is done, you could create how however many licenses that you want to create and serve however many clients that you want to serve. Right. Once you once you've paid the developers and all that, pro- like the projects are complete, you can have one hundred users. You can have one you know one million users and have a relatively similar cost structure. And if you agree with us, um, you know, by looking at the numbers, you you realize that Costco built their business model around memberships. Right? Yeah. Because they, they don't try to make a lot of money from the sale of goods because that's not the that's not their point. Um, and, and if you understand that, the cost of serving an additional member for Costco is really close to zero. Because how many times do you see, you know, all members show up at the same time in the facility, in the warehouse? I can't recall, right? And gyms are very, very similar. Exactly, yeah. Same, right. same idea. Right. So serving an additional uh, member or additional sign-up is, is close to zero. And you obviously will try to jack up the number of the number of signups or mem- members as as many as possible. Um, now that's an extreme case. However, if you look at um, the on the opposite end, there are some products that require very heavy property plan and equipment investment, and uh, these products and services or companies will require capital investment. Right. So how do you maintain an investor relationship? You got to build a solid business plan to really try to pursue funding opportunities. And these funding opportunities will be presented to, you know, angel investors if it's at the early stage or, um, you know, Series A, Series B funding opportunities uh, with uh, venture capital companies if it's at at the later stage. And especially during COVID times, uh, you see a lot of grant opportunities floating around in the marketplace because the government public sector is really trying to pump. Uh, pump in the financial resources to help the commercial environment. Yeah, and that business model, you know, how sound it is, can make the difference between getting or, or not successfully raising that money. That's what it comes down to. They want to see your business model. Correct. Um, so in our previous experiences, we've helped uh, crafted uh, business proposals. We've helped client, um, you know, uh, really pin down their business model, identifying the revenue source and identifying the pricing strategy. The business model development will be proven to be key um, to the success of any business that you want to build. Uh, and that's, you know, so it, there's, there's even one example where we helped renovate 
one business's model to, to kind of bring that 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 structure back to life, helping them take a take a look at where their costs are, where their where their revenue is coming from, and try to revive that. Right. In addition to that, I and Joey and I we recently got brought in to. Um, to really save this one business. And our charge is very clear. That is to find the break-even position. Right. Um, and how do we do that, right? So we need to first understand the market. Um, you know, I think the business uh, idea is very similar. I would even argue that it's universally applicable to any business. It doesn't matter what service or product that you're trying to provide. The business idea behind any operation is supposed to be universal. So we're right. applying our knowledge and our experiences in helping that client, identifying additional revenue opportunities, you know, trying to bring down the cost and even identify perhaps there is grant opportunity out there that we could pursue. Yeah, right back to what we said in the beginning. Revenue in, cost out. That, that really is, that, that's what it always comes back down to. Correct. During the challenging time, like the post-COVID world, everybody is looking for operational support. How do you save personnel costs, for example, without having longer term commitments, right? So, yeah. you know, usually when you want to hire a business development, business development professional or a marketing professional, you know, you hire a full-time person. How much time, how much money do you expect to spend? You know, uh, you have to not only count the salary, but also all the benefits. Um, so, it, especially in challenging time like this, uh, there are several things that, any business would have in mind that is how do you generate leads how do you generate contents to maintain the exposure of your brand and products and services and how do you fulfill the basic financial and accounting uh, requirements uh, in your business so that you could uh, make sure that the integrity of the numbers uh, um, are is being uh, upkept so those are the very very important and critical aspects um, of your business that you need to pay attention to. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And uh, um, uh, in the future, we're going to dive into more businesses and giving you more examples. And, and we hope, we certainly hope that you could take away from what we talked about. Well, thank you so much. Take care, everybody.